Chapter Twelve, Part Two of The Pathway of the Pioneer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pathway of the Pioneer by Dolph Willard. Chapter Twelve, Part Two. He had arrived at the house about four o'clock. After twenty minutes of discomfort, Mrs. Romaine turned to Hilda and suggested her getting tea in the tone of a bullying master to a dog he guessed that she was showing off on his account and winced for the first time for hilda could not assert herself now and must accept the bragging order she rose with perfect self-possession in her leisurely manner and left the room mrs romaine adding in an off-hand tone the girl's out and we keep only one servant mr thorson i suppose you think that a great hardship but mr romaine says he can't afford more so as i tell him his daughter will have to play the slavey when the real one has a holiday hilda lays aside her fine airs when she's at home i assure you she has to if she wants her bed made and her boots blacked she laughed loudly with a sense of triumph in destroying an impression of living at her ease which she did not doubt that hilda had tried to give why should she think otherwise when she would most certainly have done so herself nor was there anything in the attentive face that mr thorson turned on her to tell her what he thought of the revelation unless the little trick he had of swinging an eyeglass on a black ribbon which he wore could be said to betray irritation mrs romaine put it down to affectation however and made a mock of what she called mollycalls for days afterwards only as hilda entered the room again with the tea-tray in her hands he quietly swept some cheaply bound books from a small table and made room for her to set it down she smiled a little as she thanked him the only time he thought throughout his whole visit during the thirty-five minutes he spent in the vulgar little drawing-room he learned many things amongst others that mrs romaine did not believe in people giving themselves airs when half the world had never heard of them by which she obviously meant that her knowledge of music did not include his work being as a fact strictly limited to dan godfrey and harry hunter and also that his acquaintance with hilda was not favoured by the household because they had not known him first nor was he a young man of the very lower middle class behind a counter in the immediate neighbourhood his grey hair and obvious middle age indeed made him somewhat of an anomaly to mrs romaine who felt herself balked of a good joke at least at hilda's expense to be increased by daisies and violets facetious allusions to her young man it was a little impossible to regard mr thorson as a suitor when he obviously made no pretensions to that position at all and only referred to hilda personally once when speaking directly to her father he said that he considered miss romaine's talent worth something more than her present position and hoped to help her to improve it that he had not done so already was due to the fact that the man he most wished to see on the subject was in germany and he would not ask her to give up her band unless he could actually offer her a better engagement with a prospect of its continuation all this might be strictly satisfactory but it was galling to a jealous spiteful woman who would rather have been able to pick holes in her stepdaughter than have to acknowledge her possible good fortune mrs romaine was no adept at keeping her annoyance to herself and so by the time that mr thorson left 
she would barely shake with him and was talking loudly and rather facetiously with her own daughters her manner changing to off-hand curtness as he made his adieu it would hardly have improved her temper had she known that he did not notice her ill-breeding because hilda's hand as it lay in his for a moment had been stone-cold and her face was beginning to look drawn under the strain she was enduring you poor child you poor beautiful thing dropped like a rose in the gutter he said to himself as he walked fast away from the dreadful house all day and every day and nothing but that to come home to after hard work he thought of his own ample means of his luxurious house where every fastidious whim was studied and in his kindly humble heart he felt ashamed god preaches us roundabout sermons he said with a sigh slackening his pace after a while and trying to calm his unusual excitement that child's face was one i wonder why he grinds the youth and beauty so out of his own creations such a life dear heaven a boy would have become vicious and gone to the deuce to console himself the girl is enduring as women do and only growing dull and heartsick and embittered perhaps it seemed worse than it was even to his sensitive over-refined nature for he loved beauty passionately and there was no beauty in hilda's life unless she made it for herself by her violin anyhow he did not repeat the experiment of going to see her but he asked her instead if he might introduce her to a lady an old friend of his and took her to a flat in albert gate where this good angel lived she proved to be an elderly woman a widow but with forty years of married sweetness in her tired old face and manners as ingratiating as mr thorson's hilda wondered a little why she looked at her so long and almost wistfully when they were introduced to each other but she forgot to wonder in the pleasure given her by her hostess and the atmosphere which surrounded her everything in this environment appealed to hilda's taste the refinement the hint at luxury perhaps which after all was only expressed by the girl's pitiful little desire to have things nice and the society of a woman not only well educated it would have been difficult to rival the soundness of beatrice actual education or magda's quick intelligence but used to the daintiness of social life as well her name was mrs mornington and she seemed attracted by hilda whom she invited to come and see her whenever she liked what mr thorson had told her of her history or how he had described her home circle from what he had seen of it hilda hardly dared to think but once mrs mornington said my dear you are very very pretty it must be all the harder for you to face the world in earning your own living and hilda answered yes mrs mornington it is hard and that was all except that when they parted on that occasion the older woman put her hands on the girl's shoulders and kissed her very very pretty she murmured to herself after hilda had gone and quite a young woman and then she took off her spectacles and wiped them for they were dim it is perhaps significant that hilda never told nusotra of the extent of her intimacy with mr thorson or mrs mornington they heard in the first instance of her meeting with him and hoped that it might be of value to her from a purely material point of view it was always useful in their experience to know influential people 
but hilda must have contrived perhaps unintentionally to mislead them into an impersonal view of julian thorson nor did they know of her constant visits to the flat in the albert hall mansions where mrs mornington lived from that bridge in her life represented by her father's second marriage the girl had gained a complete control of herself with an unspeakable bitterness whose only betrayal was the shadowed greek face but with the control a little of the iron had inevitably entered into her soul until she was as reserved though in a stronger way as beatrice life was always teaching hilda and she learned hardly even the education of association with mrs mornington and her flat was not all pleasure it had its sore side in the feeling of being at a disadvantage which beset her in the contrast between herself and other women whom she encountered there at times hilda made most of her own clothes with the same skilful fingers that managed her violin but the most conscientious amateur's work is heart-rending in comparison to the paid professionals she knew the value of her face and figure but even in the evening when toilet deficiency seemed to her less noticeable in herself she did not feel the clothed equal of the guests who listened to her violin playing with cordial pleasure and rendered her the delicate homage of thanking her like a friend what her audience saw for themselves on these occasions was a tall woman in a soft black gown whose cut passed comment while it lent itself as an inoffensive frame for an attitude and face that made more than one sigh for faint envy with her body swayed a little backwards as her firm strong hand swept the bow to and fro to and fro hilda was a thing of curves and colouring of splendid pure lines and the vital beauty of flesh and blood mrs mornington's room was a long one overlooking the park which lay like a map many stories below and it was upholstered in a dull crimson that had the warmth of roses and seemed to keep some eastern scent faintly hanging in the draperies against this kindly setting hilda's bright hair and blue eyes and flushed face were always set like a mosaic in thorson's memory they had known each other for six months of an intimate friendship before he fulfilled his promise of offering her a better position than the one she held in the ladies catgut band it was so natural to trust him however that the delay had hardly occurred to her as a fret at all she knew that the great music publisher to whom he meant to speak about her was in berlin in the meantime she learned to play julian thorson's music to his own accompaniments and to be happy without the cynical thread that had made even her laughter of a rather keen quality happiness had a developing effect upon hilda whereas the hard miseries of her life had threatened to condense her nature to a mere resisting force there was something new in her face that made her beauty really noble a hint of the maternal a brooding glow that seemed to guard a secret too feminine for definition it was with her on the day of beatrice breaking up party and was the key to the feeling the younger girl tried to express when she said that she did not care to look at any one else when hilda was in the room something most tender was acting like a revelation in hilda romaine she could afford to be gentle and not to armour herself against the buffets which she had learned to expect from humanity 
a subtle sympathy had made her understand beatrice in her pain and had left her with a quickened comprehension and anxiety when they parted that haunted her all the next day like a premonition it chanced that she was going to the albert hall flat by mrs mornington's invitation that evening in spite of the increasing difficulties placed in her way at home for mrs romayne belonged to a class whose sense of authority consists in opposition she did not really care whether hilda had her own friends to visit or stayed at home so long as her own diversions were not hindered and hilda became more scrupulous in discharging her barren duties in the household the less love went with them arranging matters carefully and with rigid justice so that she should be spared without inconvenience mrs romayne had nothing to complain of therefore she grumbled in the hope of at least fretting her stepdaughter's temper to the destroying of any pleasure she might have had in going out for she regarded hilda's anger as her one vulnerable point and since she knew in her undeveloped brain that she could not influence her in one least degree she retaliated on the girl's impassivity by the petty revenges of studied ill-nature it was one of hilda's worst afflictions that she had not even her bedroom to herself more often than not it was shared by one of her stepsisters whose upbringing and inherited instincts made personal niceties a minor consideration so long as daisy's frocks were sufficiently new and smart she was not particular as to what lay underneath hilda's influence and example might have overweighted her stepmother's in this particular if mrs romayne had not regarded it as a point to be contested for the sake of victory as it was the torture of such close association was one which only a gentlewoman could appreciate herded with a like companion hilda changed her gown to go to the mansions in a room made more intolerable by contrast to mrs mornington's surroundings because daisy's personal belongings were littered about it and by her mother's advice she had closed the windows to keep out the dust of the street to do the child justice she remembered the state in which she had left the room and when her stepsister came in tired after an afternoon performance of the ladies band she apologized hurriedly and offered to run up and clear away some of my things but mrs romayne heard her and promptly found a reason for her staying downstairs through an almost mechanical habit of ill-nature hilda came down again ready to go out with her lips set in the old line that meant unbroken silence and left the house pelted by mrs romayne's comments and taunts which seemed to affect her as little as if she were one of her marble likenesses in the british museum but there was a red colour in her face that was not reflected by the sunset and she swung along the road to the nearest station and booked herself for kensington high street with the same strained compression of her lips this was the day remember of beatrice resignation and was intensely hot even for july hilda got into a third-class carriage and threw her head up as if gasping for air for the mental and physical sense of thunder in her atmosphere were almost more than she could bear at queen's road a gentleman came along the platform 
evidently in search of a first-class carriage. He was a well-dressed man with a face that Hilda did not observe, for she was thinking of very different things. But her own seat was next the window, and her unconscious head turned towards the platform. The gentleman paused with his hand upon the door of the first-class carriage adjoining, looked at her, came back, and deliberately entered the third class. If she had been alive to her surroundings, Hilda would have been on her guard at once. But she did not even notice that any one had sat down opposite to her. There was another woman at the further end of the carriage on the same side as herself. Otherwise, she and her vis-a-vis -vis were alone. He sat well round in his corner, his legs elaborately crossed, his eyes fixed on the girl opposite with a glare like a beast of praise. When the train had started, he began to shift his position, bringing his knees slowly round until they touched hers. With a sudden sensation of physical sickness, Hilda became aware of his proximity, aware also that he belonged to a species of human animal that she had learned to know only too well, alas, and whose advances were always begun in this way in a public conveyance. Nuzotra early learned that this, their adversary, the bestial man, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. They warn each other after some unusually revolting episode, but they can afford to laugh scornfully at the insult cautiously offered to them. Hilda sat back and drew her knees away. She did not look at the man, in the hope that her action was sufficient rebuff. He moved his feet and touched her again, pressing her until she drew her knees back against the door of the carriage. Then he jammed his own against them, his eyes never moving from their scorching stare. Hilda waited, drawing her breath. All the anger that her stepmother had roused, and she had held in check, flared up now at his augmentation of her passion, as a spark applied to a train of gunpowder. The blood surged over her beautiful face, making it the mask of an angry goddess, and her eyes were two gems of living sapphire. As she turned them on him at last, and, leaning forward, spoke so distinctly that the other woman heard and turned her head, gaping with surprise. Will you be good enough to move your knees from against mine? It is not often that Lothario hears his methods clearly stated in words, for he counts on the fact that womanly decency shrinks from acknowledging any knowledge of them. The gentleman stared still for a moment, as if petrified, then he stammered something, raised his hat, and as the train drew into the next station he stumbled out onto the platform, almost before it was safe. Hilda leaned back in her seat serenely. Only the stormy rise and fall of her breast betrayed the boundless rage which was out of her control for the minute. She was so passionately angry that it shook her, even as the incident itself had not done, and her heart was still beating unevenly when, after taking off her hat under the auspices of Mrs. Mornington's maid, she was shown into the long familiar room in the mansions with its red draperies and faint smell of eastern spices. Mrs. Mornington was not present, and the servant asked Hilda to excuse her for a few minutes. She was writing letters. Rather glad to have time to compose herself, Hilda replied that Mrs. Mornington was not to hurry on her account, and took up an illustrated paper to distract herself 
rather than with any idea of amusement the quiet luxurious peace of the room and its subtle scent acted like balm on her wounded mind and she drew a long sigh of pleasure and relaxation as one who rests after long pain after a few minutes she dropped the paper and moved leisurely to the looking-glass mrs mornington had not appeared yet and she stood still before the glass studying herself and mechanically touching her gown into still more conventional order no woman could have been quite without satisfaction in the reflection that a mirror gave to hilda however lamentable the garments she might be wearing but hilda was really not thinking of the mere colouring of her splendid young flesh and blood or appraising the old black gown that at least had the merit of being soft and not obtruding its material upon her already complete beauty to dress hilda in a costume that drew attention from herself to itself would have been as bad as to bundle up the venus de milo in a kimono the girl's eyes were turned inward however trying to see herself as the gentleman of the train had seen her and her fine brown eyebrows came together with the ugly effort to this man who might be typical of a score of others she had been but a pretty face and finely developed figure travelling third class for which reason she was certainly approachable and possibly obtainable whence followed the natural advances of the male animal to the female it was all so sordid and repulsive even to remember that her face became set like an avenging juno and she felt herself somehow defiled by the possibility of such things shaping themselves in men's brains brought there perhaps by her own innocent existence she was still standing facing her reflection a girl with the mask of outraged deity who was putting herself conventionally to rights before a french mirror when the door opened and mr thorson came into the room she turned at once to shake hands with him but her smile was a little less candid and a little more suspicious than usual for the stain of news ultra was upon her and she had been reminded back into her watch upon mankind it was not a generous mood in which to greet anybody not a fair one in which to judge a friend mrs mornington has asked me to come and talk to you while she finishes her letters he said as simply as usual she noticed that he was in evening dress and wondered a little he did not always dress when he dropped in to see his old friend in the evenings a velvet coat being allowable unless there were other guests it had made these less important evenings more sociable and hilda had liked it now however there seemed a certain convention added by his very correctness of costume he looked almost handsome certainly picturesque and with a sudden revulsion of feeling she recognized him as a masculine personality desirable to women for something else than his genius even the eyeglass on its black ribbon was more noticeable against his white shirt-front and seemed characteristic of a leisure class set apart from the workers to whom she belonged i am glad to be able to have a little talk with you he went on not with any more stiffness but in a subtly confidential tone that made what he had to say more serious i want to talk to you about your future yes said hilda the man i told you about my publisher is back 
and I saw him yesterday. He thought, we both thought, that it was no use to ask you to give up the certainty of what you are doing unless we could offer you an equal certainty, but with better prospects. No, Hilda spoke as earnestly as he had, and her manner was the honest one of a person who sees a necessity and bows to it. I cannot take anything uncertain, however advantageous it might look in the future. I feel bound to help my father as long as I live at home, and I should like to be able to help him even if I lived away. For a moment she paused, looking at that possible life, a life free from the hideousness of her present one, which she could yet feel to be her right, and her eyes deepened in colour as they always did, with pleasure, fancied or real. She was standing with her hands resting on the mantel-shelf, her figure bending a little without stooping, her head drooped in the old graceful way from the neck. Thorson had seen her in innumerable attitudes, but he never remembered her ungraceful, nor did he ever feel tired of that inevitable poise of the head. And so, he went on, as if taking up her words, while he still stood and looked at her, we talked you over and came to the conclusion that you ought to get plenty of concert engagements after a while with his and my influence to back you but concert work being even at its best uncertain we thought that at the same time you should try teaching for which it seems to me that you are far more fitted than most because you are very painstaking and absolutely thorough she flushed a little whether at the praise or for some other cause could not be guessed hilda flushed when she was resentful as much as when she was touched i should have tried pupils but i could not get any she said with a touch of the old mockery at herself i do not mean private teaching our view was that you should pass certain examinations and hold certificates from some conservatoire i assure you you would not find it the impossible thing you imagine and then become a supplementary teacher there of course in all these places there are certain men who have made their names and who command their fixed amount of guineas for a lesson according to scale but to my mind some of the best work all the grounding which i think so important is often done by those whose names merely appear on the prospectus and are hardly noticed except by those who know there are some schools of music where both my man and i have influence and where the teachers do not all have to hold certificates for playing scales at vienna at least i would guarantee that it should be a post on which you could depend for a living without killing yourself with work and whereby you could help your people without living at home what do you say i should be only too thankful said hilda a little breathlessly very well now the only thing is that at present we have not exactly the post we want falling due but we think we shall have in a short time in the meanwhile he looked a little curiously at her she thought as if he considered her afresh almost from a stranger's point of view i have another alternative to suggest to you she did not foresee what was coming and yet by some subconscious intuition she moved away from him her face losing its glow of grateful colour and her blue eyes seeing not him but the man in the train it is not the sort of alternative one offers to a woman without some hesitation he went on in a tone that had suddenly become hurried and lowered a man of my age must be much tempted before he would make such a proposal 
tempted beyond his power to resist, and past his own judgment, too, perhaps. Hilda, can't you see what I am offering you? I pose oddly as a lover, dear little girl. I suppose you have grown so used to think of me as the composer, the person with influence to help you, that as a man you have not thought of me at all. It seems nearly as odd to me as to you, to ask you, who are not much more than half my age, if that, to let me love you and protect you. It is not a very tempting offer, is it? A grey head and a bachelor flat. All this time she had not spoken, but she had gradually turned to face him, the horror of the whole thing forcing itself upon her shuddering, reluctant mind. It required a real effort to prevent herself from putting her hands up to her ears to shut out the sound of his familiar musical voice, which had only spoken honestly and kindly to her until now, when he used it to degrade her ideal of him. In one vivid flash of intuition, it seemed to her that the whole world was corrupted for her, turned from a friendly humanity into universal devilish enmity. Her suspicions rained in on her mind like frozen hail. Why had Mrs. Mornington stayed out of the room and left her to this? Why, if she were not in the plot? Why was there no one else to be present to-night? Had they all stood aloof, these pleasant, smiling men and women, who had spoken to her softly and seemed to wish her well, while, no doubt, they had every one foreseen this end, perhaps thought that it had come already, no doubt, no doubt. She was one of Nuzotra, an outsider debarred from men's honesty or woman's equality. The red tide rose to the armpits, and the struggle to live was death. With the red tide risen in her heart, Hilda faced him, her hand against every man's from henceforth, every man's hand against hers. She was frantic with her delayed passion, the passion roused by her stepmother, and the man in the train, and with the disappointment of the moment. With newly crimsoned cheeks and eyes made beautiful by her scorn, she turned upon him like a warrior woman, her words fighting for her sex, her voice pitched two notes lower than usual in her excitement. How dare you, she said savagely, how dare you even offer me such a position as that you hint to me? You are ashamed to speak out with good cause. What have I ever done that you should think me worthy of an insult you would not dare to offer to a woman of your own standing? What in your experience of me has justified you in rating me so low? I thank you for your offer. It has degraded you as it could not do me. You can take your answer from that. I am the stuff of which men's wives are made, Mr. Thorson, not their mistresses. For a minute he remained looking at her blankly, as if the storm of her words bewildered him into not understanding them. Then suddenly he made a deliberate step towards her, instead of drawing back as she expected, and took and held her in his arms with a strength and tenacity that even her fury could not resist. Hilda, said the kindly voice she knew, with patient tenderness, my poor child, how you must have suffered, not to know even when a man is honest. My dear, my dear, do you think I could love you and wish to make you anything less than my wife? It was my fault for putting it so stupidly. The voice went on whispering, soothing her quivering nerves as skilfully as a great physician might a patient. 
see how a man blunders over his first proposal i'm too old too am i too old hilda she did not answer in words but she shook the tears out of her blue eyes and left them more than ever like wet violets to look up at him there was no apology for her her life had been excuse enough in its exposure to men's license let him be ashamed of his sex if he would before he cried shame on the woman he stood holding her more tenderly than with passion as if she were something that had been very badly hurt and which maybe only the angels could really heal and below the concern of his grave man's face her brown head lay on his breast in an abandonment of grief and rest that told of a reaction more utter than he could realize while her hands clung to his shoulders in the attitude of one drowning who holds to a last hope of succour the room smelt more of eastern spices than ever to-night and of fresh english roses perhaps mrs mornington who lingered still over her letters had placed the great bowls of flowers purposely about the place to make it always sweet to the memory of those two friends of hers whom she had been wisely watching and helping for months hilda sat down on the broad persian divan where all the cushions were collected and thorson sat beside her with her hands in his and looked in her face as if he found an inspiration there such as set his own music singing it was so quiet that hilda heard the rustle of her gown as she turned a little towards him and there was a silence upon them as if their happiness were so new and delicate that they might almost scare it away with words and when will you marry me dear he said under his breath at last and the mixture of anxiety and reverence in the tone made her a queen bestowing favours there is nothing to wait for is there and i am not so young i can afford to squander my time with you you are trying to frighten me with a bogey of old age she half whispered back i know of nothing to wait for except the wedding cake the irresistible laughter came back to her eyes and the shadow of bitter experience seemed lifted from her face at least for the moment a month yes surely a month is long enough for all the necessary paraphernalia will you come to italy with me my beauty i have never been abroad said hilda slowly visions of venice of far-off snows of all the wonder of the world came to her and she had a breathless sense of what all this meant yet even in that moment following hard upon the delirious prospect of sharing in the joys of this earth which has seemed set far beyond her horizon there came the half-whimsical relief that petty worries would be amongst the things that were past and her actual thought was i shall not have to clean my own shoes or lay my meals when i am tired any more the education of her life had taught her the drawbacks of such small pinpricks but it had taught her also the value of the best things he had lain at her feet and she turned to him with a gracious instinctive movement and laid her cool bare arm across his shoulders i am by nature a hard woman i think julian she said simply and perhaps if i had been happier i should have been so wrapped up in myself that i should have grown selfish you see i have almost perfect health and when one's body does not prick one with reminders of the fact 
that there is pain to bear in the world, one's brain is apt to forget it. I have gone through a great deal of life education, more than I shall ever tell you, I hope, but it has at last made me realize the full value of what you have offered me. Please love me, the rest may go past. We have proved that much, even with regard to each other, news Otra. For the minute the pressure of his arms round her was his only assurance, but as he looked into the blue eyes that were almost stern with remembered knowledge, he said, I want to know your friends, dear. You will let me, won't you? Alma and Magda, whose sketches I know already under her initials, and Frank, and the others of whom you have told me. I will introduce you to them with pleasure, but you must not expect them to accept you as one of themselves, she said rather slowly, as if she had some difficulty in explaining her meaning. You must remember that their very lack of success makes them fence themselves round with a barrier. You will find that they receive you with what seems to you perfect frankness, and in that very frankness lies their reserve. I belong to a class that is no class, whom we call news ultra, because there is no accepted position or status for them yet, and they are the most difficult of all people to help, because they need help most because how can i put it they are outlawed by their own independence or perhaps because they are merely a passing phase making the way for a younger generation who will have the fair dealing and the acknowledgment for which nuzotra have fought i sometimes think that no one can help nuzotra except nuzotra it makes one feel very impotent for oneself hilda i am afraid you are and yet i don't know I will do my best, and perhaps Alma and Frank will be honest with you. Her thoughts went back rapidly to the discussion of the night before, the going out of one sphere, which they had nearly all condemned. Magda Burke will like to know you, I think, but Flair, the writer whom the press calls Flair Caldecott, will drop me when I marry you, said Hilda with conviction, not for any personal reason, but because she drifts with her circumstances. The one of them all whom I think you could help is Beatrice. Is that the girl whose voice you said might be cultivated? Yes, she is in uncongenial surroundings, doing work that is too hard for her. And, I don't know, I think there is a private trouble that might be more bearable if there were something better in her life. We will certainly help Beatrice, said Julian Thorson cordially, but they neither of them knew that by that hour Beatrice had already helped herself. In her new-found happiness Hilda glowed and was glad. She was always grateful to her providence that her romance came graciously with nothing sordid to spoil it, but only the memory of rose-red rooms and a great tenderness. Had Thorson been a younger man even, she felt that it would have been less perfect, for the very strength and vitality of youth makes cruder demands and the years behind her had taken something from her of the capacity to meet young love on equal ground she had above all things a sense of rest in the marriage offered her and dimly realized that with all her unusual health and splendid physique she had grown tired they were friends and companions before they became lovers she looked into the quiet promise of his eyes and accepted protection with a relief that was like grateful prayer 
what is she thinking of said thorson at last as her eyes came back from their long gaze past the red glow of the room into other scenes where he could not follow even in memory i was thinking of how glad i am that i was strong enough to wait she said some of us grew too tired and some of us despaired she thought of winnie's laughter that had seemed tragic later on and some of us waited in vain perhaps but i have been so fortunate i feel almost superstitious about it and afraid to say it is real lest i should wake up and find it is a dream for after all i am one of nusotra and this belongs to the real girls when a man falls in love it is always with the real girl he answered it makes her a real girl to him at least don't you see i fear said hilda with her quick low laugh extricating herself from his arms to meet the leisurely rustle of an approaching gown hush here is mrs mornington at last we must behave ourselves but she knew even as she went forward to meet her hostess warm silent kiss of congratulation that by that very acknowledgment she passed into her kingdom and was no more of nusotra chapter twelve